I'll tell you, really, you threw me off. I thought, was a new, I thought we had a guest today. <laughs> it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, I pray that your week has been great, and I pray that you have a wonderful Father's Day today. Uh, for the fathers, now, wives, you know, Try to lift them up and encourage them and, and don't hit them too hard. Amen. So we're good. <laughs> uh, where do I want to go at today? Let's go to 1 Kings this morning. 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 and 19. So don't close your Bibles. Uh, I've got some things I want to discuss this morning. And... Uh, may help you. I, there's just so much been on my mind the last few days and, uh, and some messages are starting to run together and I just don't want to, I need to separate them and calm down and, and you know like, like uh, Tammy says, I need to just unhook <laughs> and uh, kind of like calm down and try to bring them all together and everything. But uh, this morning I want to preach on is Satan stealing or robbing your victory. Now we like victories in our life, don't we? I know when I played sports, I never once got out on a basketball court or a football field thinking, well, we're not going to win this one. Every time we get out there, I expected to win. I expect victory. And I think we need to start looking at our victories in our life and saying, hey, Lord, is, is, is Satan stealing our victories or robbing our victories from us or are we giving the victories to him? Now, sometimes he don't have to do anything. We just hand stuff over to him. First Kings chapter 18 this morning. If you stand, the very last verse. First Kings chapter 18. And in verse 46. And the hand of the Lord. And I like that. I can just stop right there and preach all day on the hand of the Lord. Man, I loved being in there. Don't you just know that there's a hand of the Lord that reaches down when you need it. Amen. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. We ask you, Lord, to touch hearts. Help us to be what we need, Lord. Help us to realize that we have victory in this life, Lord. And help us to be what we need to be. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We've read many stories in the Bible about those who have had victories in their life. And we've had victories in our life. And I love reading of those that had victories in their life. I think about David winning the battle of the champion Goliath. And then I think about Gideon and his 300. And God sent them and defeated them, the Midianites, and, uh, and gave them the victory. I think about the three Hebrew boys that was in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to take, take you three boys and I'm going to throw you in a furnace and burn you to a crisp. But we realized the furnace had no victory over them. They felt no ill from the fire. I think about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. Well, wouldn't you just love to see the face of the king as he was running through the opening of the lion's den? And wondering, is Daniel there? Has your, has your God provided? And all of a sudden, Daniel says, O king, live forever. 
Paul being uh, stoned at Lystra. They, they stoned him. They dragged him outside the gates and, uh, and left him for dead. In fact, they thought they had killed Paul. The next thing you know, Paul's back in the city. He's preaching the gospel again. They said, how could this be? Did we not kill this man? We read in 1 Kings chapter 18, one of the greatest victories, Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. Not only does he defeat the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves, God sends down fire, then he sends down the rain. All I can say about that is God gave victory that day. Do you know that the devil hates for God's people to have victory this morning? Before the viruses, the churches were starting to, to get revitalated uh, uh, and getting on strong, getting fire for God, and, and it seems like people were getting interested in coming to church, uh, and it just seems like uh, everybody was moving in a way, and we start doing things. We had things to go on, and all of a sudden, this virus comes along and shuts everything down. The devil does not like for God's people to have victory in their lives. He wants you to live in the valley and never believe that you can get on the mountaintop. I know that we cannot always live on the mountaintop because life is full of seasons of changes. It's up and down. The devil would love for you to keep your face and keep you from having victories and keep you where there's no joy in your life. Look how chapter 18 ends. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. How many would you like to have the hand of God on you this morning? How many would like to have the hand of God on the church this morning? Wouldn't it be a blessing? The same hand that sent down the fire, the same hand that sent down the rain is the same hand that holds you and I this morning. He held back the rain for three and a half years. That's God. I want you to see how it affected Elijah with the hand of God being on me. And let me just say this this morning. If you're not that close to God, I suggest you try to get as close to God as you can because the way it affected Elijah, it should affect you and I. The Bible said, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That means he had to run from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. That's a 20-mile hike. That's 20 miles. Now how many of you think you can run out there and go out there and run 20 miles this morning? I, I, I couldn't even get on a bike and go 20 miles this morning. I've ran 20 miles before, but it ain't going to happen today. But he was so, felt so good, uh, and God, his hand was on him, and, and he felt so good. Uh, hey, he just said, hey, I think I'll go to Jezreel. And they said, hey, Elijah, we got the carts here. You want to go? Uh, no, I feel so good. I think I'll just run. And boom, there he goes, running. 
I would love to feel that good one more time. And I know I can't do it myself. It would take the hand of God on me to make me run up and down this road. But Elijah felt so good. He was on top of the world because the hand of God was on him. Now I could just quit right now and we go home. We said, well, you know, Elijah had victory in his life. Everything's good. But there's chapter 19. There's chapter 19. Look at chapter 19, verse number 1 here. Look at what it says. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. He has victory. He's girded up his loins. He's running for the victory lap. He's in, and if you keep reading verse number two, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do do to me and more also if I make not thy life as one of those them that you, tomorrow about this time, one that you're slain about this time. He, He sees the trouble. And verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belonged with the Judah, and left his servant there. And verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Compare verse 19 of verse 46 with verse number 4. In verse 46, he, he's on fire. He's, he's excited and he's running for God. And he's doing everything. He, he says the victory left. God has given the victory. And in verse number 4, he finds him in the wilderness under the tree and requesting of God that he dies. Here is a man that was on top of the mountain in victory. And just a few verses later, he's down at the bottom. You say he's depressed. You're right. You say he's despairing of life. You're right. If you want to say he's defeated, you're right. He said it's better for me to die. How can a man have all those victories? Runs 20 miles. God's hand is on him. And here he sits under a juniper tree in defeat, wanting to die. Because that is the operation of the devil. That is how the devil works. The devil is a thief. The devil is a liar. He wants your joy. He wants your victory. And when we sing the song, Victory in Jesus, this is how the devil wants you to sing the song. Victory in Jesus. Victory in That's how the devil wants you to sing that song. The devil don't want you to have victory. How in the world can Elijah go from the top of the mountain with the hand of God on him to a juniper tree wanting to die? There are people who got right with God before the virus talked to pastors and they said the church was starting to get on fire 
that got saved and those that start coming back to church and making things right with God and getting on fire for God. There's those that say, hey, we've seen an increase. We've seen what God can do. And it seems like the Spirit of God moving on. And all of a sudden the virus comes and shuts everything down. The devil doesn't want God's people to have victory. The devil doesn't want the church to have victory. Well, how did Elijah get like that? First of all, you need to temper your expectations. This is what I believe in my mind. This is what I see. Elijah saw the fire fall from heaven. That was real. Elijah slew the prophets of Baal and of the grove. That was real. Elijah prayed and that little cloud in the shape of a hand rose up. And after three and a half years, it rained. That was real. And in my mind, and where I sit, uh, if you gather all the nation of Israel, and they had this huge contest, the false prophets of Baal, and the true prophet of God, and the false prophets of Baal, uh, the living true God of Jehovah, and God shows himself mighty and wins the victory. In my mind, in my thinking, Elijah thought, boy, we're about ready to have a national revival. We're going to see people get right. We're going to see people uh, get straight with God and, and get their lives back on track and, and change. Uh, and surely if God can send the fire, surely if God can send the rain, He gives victory over the false prophets. Victory in a huge way is coming. Elijah think, hey, no doubt there's going to be a revival coming. But in verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. In verse 2, she sent some messenger. You just temper your expectations. I believe God can send a national revival. And if he does, I'm going to be right there shouting. I believe God can send a revival to the church, and if it does, I'm going to throw fuel on it. I'm not going to throw water on it. I know those that believe in a revival, they say, God can't save nobody in revival. That ain't real. That ain't right. I'm not going to be like that. But if God sends a revival, I'm just going to throw fuel on it and say, praise God. I'm going to shout and say, victory to Jesus. Amen. God can send a revival. You know what the Bible said about Jesus in the wilderness? The Bible said he departed for a season. I'm talking about the devil. Elijah seized the victories. He's faced the victory. He's faced the false prophets. And he's victorious over all this. And he sees the fire. He sees the rain. He's seen God move. He's expecting something that's not going to happen. 
He's thinking, hey, I've got victory over the devil. I've got victory. But let me just say this. Uh, the devil is not going to leave you alone. Uh, just because you get victory today doesn't mean he's going to come back tomorrow. Just because you can stand and shout and praise God today does not mean tonight he won't be on your heels biting at you as quick as he can. He's not going to leave you alone. You may get victory over an error in your life, but I guarantee you, it won't be long. He's going to be right back at you. There are those who've got saved before the virus hit and was getting right with God, and all of a sudden they said, "Hey, I don't like this. We've got to do something about it." So we have them to shut down the churches. Two months we shut down. Don't you think it hurt them? It hurt them. The devil right back at him and say, hey, look there, I'm in control, not God. And they start believing it. They start believing it. The devil doesn't want you to have victory. Just because you get right with God doesn't mean your family is going to be excited about it. Amen. I can see some people now got right with God and go home and tell mom and daddy they got right with God. So what? So what? I'm not going to get excited about it. Hey, I'm ecstatic about it when somebody gets right with God. Because I know if they get right with God, God can still hold them. The hand of God is on them. I want to be just like Elijah. I want to be so close I can feel the presence of God. And I want his hand on my life. I want his hand on the church. I want his hand on your life. That we can ensure victory in Jesus. That way when we sing the song, victory in Jesus, victory in Jesus. And believe it. Too many times we sing victory in Jesus, victory in Jesus. You know, I don't, we don't really believe it. We don't believe God can give victory. God gave victory to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Temper your expectations. Elijah thought God gave the victories. There must going to be a revival throughout the land. The whole nation had gathered and saw the victories that was given by God. Next, Elijah got overwhelmed with the opposition. Can I say this? If you're doing anything for God, moving forward for God, expect opposition. I, I didn't say you ought to expect things to go poorly. But you need to expect that somebody is standing there against you. Verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. You know this was a false messenger, don't you? Jezebel sent, sent Elijah a false messenger. And she does the same thing in, in chapter 21. When Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. And Nabal refused to sell it. It is from my father's. So what does Je Jezebel does? She writes a letter in Ahab's name. And sealed it with his seal. And sent the letters to the elders. And the nobles that were in the city. 
that dwelled with Nabal. And she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and set Nabal on high among the people. She's setting him up. And set two men, sons of Bilal, sons of the devil, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, then carried him out and stoned him that he may die. A false messenger. Those men knew what they were carrying. They knew they were false messengers. It doesn't really matter to them. They're doing what they're getting paid to do. And that's what's going on in America today. Uh, people are getting paid to bring false message. Uh, people are getting paid uh, to be a false messenger. Whatever gender that agrees with them and their, sit, their attitudes and things, that's what they're going to try to say. That's what they're going to try to do. We see it every day in this country. There are false messengers in this country. Amen. They're wanting to rob you of your victory in life. So we see that. We see that he's been false messages, been sent in verse 2, says, saying, let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of the life of them by tomorrow at this time. So the false messengers have brought a false message. So let the gods, the little g gods, and I thought it was settled on Mount Carmel right then and there. The little gods, 850 of them, couldn't even get a spark from their god. And then the big g god, in 63 words, bring fire down from heaven. So she's treating Elijah with her, she's tempting him, she's threatening him with her, her liturgy gods. So let the gods, the liturgy gods do to me. They're not able to do anything. They were not able to do anything on Mount Carmel. They're not going to do anything to you today. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them tomorrow, by tomorrow, this time. She's guaranteeing his death. She's saying, you're going to die. I don't know if anybody here has ever been threatened in their life. I have once. I am glad I survived. Amen. I'm glad I survived. She's guaranteeing by this time tomorrow, you're going to be a dead man. Isn't that what Pharaoh told Moses? Depart from me. Don't let you don't don't come and see me again. Because if I see your face again, you're gonna die. But you know what Moses found out? His God was bigger than Pharaoh. His God had more power than Pharaoh. He put his trust in the right God. She's guarantee Elijah his death, and we see Elijah's doing this. Same thing with Nebuchadnezzar. He told the three-year boys, I'm going to give you one more chance. When you hear the music, I want you to hit your face. I want you to bow down. I want you to go down. I, I, I'm going to give you one more chance. Ain't that like the devil? Hey, you got one more chance. Come on. Come on. But they said, let it be known unto thee, O king. Go ahead. 
Stoke it seven times, but we're not bowing. And what they found out that, hey, Nebuchadnezzar had no more authority over them. He couldn't touch them. He cannot hold on to his promise that he said, I'll kill you. I'll burn you to a crisp. He couldn't do that. We need to be careful of the things that we listen to. And that's what Elijah did. It got in his head. You can find it anywhere. Turn your TV on. You'll find false messages everywhere you go. There's even those that's positive and there are those that are negative in this world. The Bible speaks about those that's given that very thing. There are gossipers, rallers. They're, they're ones that make their own reputation, destroy others by false message. So Jezebel sends a messenger with a false message to Elijah. And Elijah, remember, Elijah's hey, up on top of the mountain, singing that victory in Jesus, feeling so good, the hand of God on him. He runs 20 miles Jezreel in. Hey, I'm feeling good. And while he's in Jezreel, he gets this messenger. Hey, Jezebel says, she's going to kill you. Tomorrow, tomorrow this time, buddy, you're dead. You're dead. We need to be careful. Verse number three, this is what he does. He listens to the false message given by a false messenger. And when he, when he saw that, he, what did he see? He saw the promise that she was going to tomorrow kill him at this time. That's a false vision. She could not. She said, hey, tomorrow at this time you're going to be dead. I see it. In my opinion, with Elijah, this is what the devil wants in your life. This is what the devil tries to do in your life. God has given you victory. God has shown you that he's mightier than all. And we need to get that, and we've, we celebrate that. And Elijah celebrated that. He, he said, oh, God, you sent the fire. Oh, God, you sent the rain. Uh, we slew 850 pro false prophets. Oh, God, you are victory. Your hand is on me. I feel good. I think I can run. And he runs. But all of a sudden, somebody whispers in his ear, said, hey, uh, about this time tomorrow, you're going to die. And he starts believing. It got into his head. That's exactly what the devil wants to do. Get into your head. You can sit around and see victory. You can see God's people get right. You can see God's people's lives get changed, uh, pulled from the miry clay uh, and get put up and put on a solid rock. Uh, you can see people get right with God and everything going good. But the devil says, hey, don't believe that. She got into his head with a false message. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. And I see Elijah sitting and dwelling on that. And he start, he's done forgot about what God has done on Mount Carmel. He's done forgot about the fire. He's done forgot about the rain. He's done forgot about the victory. He done forgot about how good he felt. Now he's pitiful. He said, oh, man. She, she's going to kill me tomorrow. I'm going to die. Now, wait a minute. 850 prophets couldn't do nothing to you. They couldn't touch you. 
you saw fire fall from, boy, <laughs> you saw fire fall from heaven, 63 word prayer, and you look up and God said, hey, here I am, and watch the fire come down, that's victory. And one person got into his head. One person gets into his head. Haven't you ever been camping, sitting around a campfire at night, and you know, a bunch of little boys, and you get to start telling them those scary stories, how somebody died in the woods here, and they're running around, they ain't never caught it. I took my grandkids down, behind, down below the house, and there's an old house sitting back there. We've been there for 100 years or more, I bet. And I take them down there, I walk and I said, y'all see that house right there? I said, yeah, said, yeah. I said, there's a man and woman lived in that house. And they had a little boy that went crazy. I see that little shack over there? I said, yeah, that's where they kept him locked up. They looking at me like that. I said, yeah, yeah. And then I said, one night he busted out of that little building there. They said, what did he do? I said, he got mad at his mom and daddy. Went in there and got in the house and took a machete and chopped him up. What did they do to him? Oh, they ain't never found him yet. As far as they know, he's still running around in these woods. And they got up from me. I grabbed a rock, threw it on the woods. You ought to have seen them. Ah! <laughs> running. Got, got into their heads. Amen. That's what the devil wants to do is get in your head. You know I mean, you've God giving you victory after victory after victory, and you see God moving in your life. You see what God can do, and yet you let the devil get into your head and rob you of your victory. Elijah is losing his victory over something that is not real. He saw that Jezebel hadn't killed him. She's not been able to put, her, put his hand on it. The 850 prophets are dead. His God has helped him overcome. They can't do this. I imagine Elijah was probably sitting up there. Oh, man. Well, I didn't know she had that. I mean, I, hey, we take care of 850 of them. Maybe she got some more over there. I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, maybe she, maybe she got a whole bunch of people. I, I don't, I don't know. She got into his head, and he got to thinking. He got overwhelmed. Let me just say this: we get overwhelmed a lot of times in our life, but don't let it rob you of your victory. And that's what Elijah did. He let him rob him. Don't be moved by your troubles. Trouble comes. Look what happens. He was, he was in Jezreel. But in verse number 3, he arose and went for his life and he came to Beersheba. Now you can see that Mount Carmel, Jezreel, Beersheba. You can see that. And then in verse 4, verse four you find himself a day's journey into the wilderness. You see his progression is going down. He's going down. He's going down. That's a... Mount Carmel to the wilderness of is, is a 95-mile trip that he's made coming down. He's been moved by his troubles. 
something that really has not come to pass. If you want to lose your victory, let the devil move you from doing the right thing. He'll get you up to run and you're scared and you'll lose your victory. It amazes me, the Bible said in verse number 3, And when he saw that, he rose and went for his life and came to Bathsheba, and he belonged with the Judah and left his servant there. He isolates himself. He's gotten away from the people that he knows. He's gotten away from the people that loved him. They've gotten away from the people that cared for him, those that could help him. And I believe in the day which we're living in today that Satan is trying his best to isolate people from people he wants you to be separated and he knows if he can keep you separated he'll get the victory that's what the devil is doing to this great man of God Elijah the devil will move you away from your friends from the people that love you the people that care for you he'll move you away from them until it's just you Nobody else. He's moved by his troubles. What else happened? Verse number four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Elijah get back to the church house. Elijah get back to where people's, God's people were at. And he came and sat down on a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. He started praying for himself. He started praying for himself. He has isolated himself, and now he's praying for himself. And the reason why he's praying for himself is because the woman had got into his mind. I'm going to take your life. So he's not thinking about anybody else. He's not thinking about anybody else. Ain't you glad Jesus didn't think about himself on the cross of Calvary? Elijah is thinking all about himself. Listen. Christianity is not something where we live for ourselves. Paul said it this way, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though that more abundantly I love you, the less to be loved. Christianity is living a spent life for somebody else. But what has happened here, he's been moved by his troubles. He's in the wilderness. He's isolated himself. And now he's requesting himself to be dead. He's not praying for other people. He's not praying and remembering the victory on Mount Carmel. He's forgotten all about that. It's no longer in his mind of act of victory in God. But what's in the front of his mind is this woman and her threats. He said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father. Not only is he isolating himself, now he's comparing himself to his fathers. I didn't do a good job as my daddy did. I didn't do as good job as the men that were before me, those that uh, was called. Uh, uh, I'm thinking calling down fire from heaven was a pretty good job. Using 63 words in a prayer, calling fire from heaven. Boy, who else has done that? I don't read anybody else in the Bible doing that. If we're not careful, we'll start comparing ourselves with each other. Second Corinthians 
For we dare not make ourselves of the numbers or compare ourselves with some of them that commend themselves, but by the measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We don't need to compare ourselves with each other no matter what's going on, no matter what you do. Don't compare yourself. Everybody has different abilities. and We shouldn't compare our abilities with others. Everybody has a different voice. Not everybody has a great voice like this. Even everybody has different personalities. That's what makes the church. We're different. But we serve the same master. He, start, he isolated himself. Then he started comparing himself. Everything Elijah's doing is getting self-centered. He's praying for himself. He's isolated himself. He's comparing himself. That is a way to lose victory in your life. It's a way to lose victory. I cannot sit around and compare myself to other preachers. I have heard some great preachers in my life. I have seen preachers preach and the power of God reach out and touch people. I've seen preachers come and say three or four words and the pew and the altars would just fall up. I cannot compare myself to them. God made me the way I am. And I have to accept it. Boy, I could sit around and compare myself to some preachers I know. I'd, I'd quit. I'd quit. We have a couple come here. If I'm sitting here and comparing myself to them, I'm going to quit. It ain't no use for me to go on. I'm going to quit. He's comparing. He got self-centered. Then he quits. He sat down under the juniper tree. At the end of chapter 18, he's running. He's on move. Now he's sitting down. He's no longer doing anything for God. In verse 5 it said, and he laid and slept. He's done really gave up on God. I believe that's where the church is at today. I believe we done lost our victory. We lost our joy. And we just laid down and went to sleep on God. He said, I'm done. I'm through. I give up. Now how many of you ever said that? I give up. I'm done. He was moved, he was isolated, he prayed for himself, and now he resigns himself. The Bible said, in verse number five, thank God for verse number five. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. When you're facing uncircumstances and situation in your life and you're about ready to give up, there's always the hand of God. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. I'll try to end this real quick. 1 Thessalonians. The church of Thessalonica had great opposition. Again, it was just like every Bible-believing church today. There is a devil. There is an accuser. There is an enemy that against the people that are trying to win victory for God. 1 chapter 3, verse number 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. 
For yourselves know that we have appointed unto, thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that you should suffer tribulation. They're being told, hey, I'm telling you now, you're going to be suffering. There's a devil out there. There's an accuser out there. There is an enemy out there. You're going to be suffering. You're going to suffer tribulation, even as it came past, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to you your faith, lest by some means the temper, tempter had tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Verse 7, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all afflictions and distressed by your faith. For now we live... If ye stand fast in the Lord. Listen, the devil wants you to move you from your, by your troubles. How many of you remember that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit? The same Spirit that we find Elijah. He, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We find Elijah in the wilderness. But you know, the Satan came and moved him from the wilderness to the top of the mountain. And then he moved him from the wilderness to the, the top of the pinnacle of the temple. Now, how he does that, I don't know. The Bible said he did. I'm not going to believe on that. I'm not going to argue on that. The Bible said he did. The Bible said you knew. He told them. Anytime the devil wants to take advantage of you, he's going to get you to move in a different direction than what God wants. And I believe we're gone to the point that we're moving in a different direction. We're not moving in the direction God wants us to, but we need to get set with God and get back right with God and get moving in the direction that God wants to move. He said, I told you, you're going to suffer tribulation." And that you should stand fast. That don't be moved. Don't let the devil come and move you. Don't let these people get in your mind and move you. Don't let them get in your head. You ought to stand fast. And if it was good then and it's the same today, stand fast. Be you stand fast. Steadfast and unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You're going to suffer problems. If you're living for Jesus, you're going to have problems. Amen. But listen, one of those days, one of these days, those problems are going to be over with when you walk out in the streets of glory, getting that mansion God has built for you. All these problems are going to be laid aside. All these fictions are going to tribulations are going to be laid aside. One of these days, it's going to be over. But you can watch Elijah go from Carmel, Jezreel, Bathsheba to the wilderness. He's always moving, but he's never moving up. He's always moving down. God wants you to be steadfast. In the middle of all the unrest that we face, in the middle of all this uncertainty, you need to resign to yourself. Put your trust in the mediator between man and God. And stand fast. I know we're going to make it because the promise of God. The promise of God. And I know God's going to make good on all of His promises. I'm not going to be moving around and shaking and looking. But I know that we're going to have trouble. 
we'll have tribulation. We have opposition. But we need to temper our expectation. But also shout when we have the victories in life. Elijah had victory. But his mind went to a different place. If you have victory in your life, you ought to just shout. Let everybody know you're shouting because God has given you victory in this life. And when you sing victory in Jesus, sing it with your head held high and sing it to the top of your voice. I don't care if it's crackling and everything else. Sing it loud and sing it proud because God gives victory to his children. Let us stand.